My name is Tamara Gober, and I'd like to personally welcome you to the Hope Community Podcast. Before we begin, if you live in the New York City area and are looking for a church home, I'd like to take this time to invite you to our services. For time and place, check out our website at hopecommunitynyc.com. Again, thanks for listening. We hope you are encouraged by this message, and we truly pray you walk away looking more like Jesus. My name is Greg. I pastor Hope Community here, and I just want to say thank you guys for being here with us. Uh, We right now are in the middle of a series going through 1 Corinthians, uh, which is a tough passage. I don't know many pastors who are like, hey, especially in New York City, who are like, hey, I know what we should go through. Let's go through 1 Corinthians. That is not, if you you want to uh, throw out kind of feel-good, fluffy sermons, this is not the place to go for that, all right? Uh, These kind of get into the depths of things, kind of gets down into the nitty gritty of stuff. And uh, we deal with a lot of uh, difficult topics, a lot of difficult things um, in our world because, and here's the truth, and it's been said that Corinth actually, uh, if there was a a city in the United States that mirrored Corinth closely, it would be New York City. Now, we're not there all the way, uh, but we do struggle and deal with a lot of the same things that they were dealing with in our city. Uh, and so um, that's kind of why we're going through this book. Uh, and one, one word, as I read through 1 Corinthians and as I've kind of studied the book, there was one word that came to mind, and that was the word represent. Because the whole reason that Paul was even writing to them was because they were not representing the gospel very well. You see, Paul loved people. And he loved them so much that he wanted them to come to know Christ. And so Paul, whenever he, you know, he planted the church in Corinth. And whenever he planted that church, he said, look, now you guys are going to be the light in Corinth. So go out, let people come to life, share with them the gospel, and let them come to know Jesus Christ, just like you've come to know Jesus Christ. Well, the problem was, is that Corinth, they were doing that well at first, but then they started letting the world around them infiltrate the church. And instead of them influencing the church, the church started to influence the town of Corinth. And I mean, the city of Corinth started to influence the church. And so they started getting into some things that Paul then heard. And he said, Hey guys, you are not representing the gospel. Well, you are not doing what God has called us to do. And, and you're actually, you're actually turning people away from the gospel. They don't want to have anything to do with Christianity because you guys are not representing the gospel. Well, so in, in order, because in order to save the people that he loves, which is the, the church at Corinth, and in order to, to save the gospel and the testimony of the gospel, he wrote this book. And there are some things in there that he talks about and he gets kind of down into, uh, as he like gets up in their grill kind of about some of this stuff. All right. So at first, the first things that we talked about uh, during, because we're in chapter six now, the first things that we talked about uh, were they were they were dealing with some arrogance and they were dealing with some pride and they were bragging about who they followed and what it did is it put them at enmity with one another. It put them um, at odds with one another in the church and so you had a church who was fighting. You had a church who thought this group was better than this group and this group was better than this group and we see that in churches today unfortunately in our world. But they were having all, and he was saying guys look, it's not 
not about any of that stuff. You're all one in Jesus Christ. You all have the same salvation. There's not one person that's better than another, right? And so he's talking about all kinds of things to them. But now, and, and last week what we looked at is they were going around and the problems they were having with each other, they were taking each other to court and they were just suing each other and they were cheating each other out of money and they were cheating each other out of all of their livelihood and stuff. And that's how the church was treating each other. And Paul's saying, quit. Quit doing that kind of stuff. We're called to serve one another. We're called to share the gospel. We're not called to be at odds with one another. Our fight, if you guys remember the scripture, it says our fight, our fight is not against flesh and blood, right? That's not our fight. Our fight are, is against the spiritual forces, and that's what's messing up the church right now. But now they've turned inward, and they're fighting each other. And I just want to remind you guys that a church that is focused inward and is fighting each other and more concerned about themselves is a church exactly where the enemy wants them to be. Because that's a church that is not being effective for what they were left here to do and for what they were called to do. And that's where we find them. And so I'm going to fight tooth and nail with everything that I have to keep this church from ever having those kinds of experiences. And the way that we will, will not have those experiences is if we care about each other more than we care about ourselves. And that's what we have to do. We have to care about each other more than we care about ourselves. So, uh, but again, they were not representing well uh, the gospel they were actually acting, he said earlier, he's like, look, not even the pagans are doing the things that you're doing, right? That's kind of the things that he was saying. And he's going to get into some more of that today. But I want to share with you guys um, kind of a, an analogy or a metaphor. I never remember which one's which. But, uh, but what I want to share with you guys is, is, is kind of one that I've heard a long time ago that a pastor had said, and it was so good. He said, pretend that, and, and, and I'll just say it's me, pretend that church, I whenever you guys showed up, the countdown happened and I wasn't here. All right. And all of a sudden, uh, it's kind of awkward, uh, because everybody's like, the kids are like five, four, three, two, one, zero. And then nothing, right. Uh, there's no one up on the stage. There's nothing going on. Everybody's like, where in the world is Greg? And so then maybe like 15 minutes go by and I run into the room and I'm like, Oh, Guys, I am so sorry. Like, I, I am so sorry that I'm so late. I was on my way here. I was in the car and I was driving and I was out on the BQE. And uh, all of a sudden, uh, I got a flat tire on the BQE. So I pulled over and traffic was going, you know, around me and I was blocking it up. I was getting honked at and other things were coming at me. And, uh, and, and I'm just so sorry. But, but whenever I was changing the tire, a lug nut fell off into the road and I ran out to get it and a two-ton logging truck just boom hit me and I just I wiped me out so I'm sorry but that's why I'm late you guys would be like yeah there's something else <laughs> like there's another reason you were late uh, because that's not it right because the reason you would think that is because if I walked in after getting hit by a two-ton logging truck first of all we'd have a time of worship if that was like for real true and we'd be like lord what do you want to do with this but but in the real life though you guys would you would you would say there's no way you were hit by a logging truck why because you would look completely different you would look completely different and here's the thing what's greater a two-ton logging truck or the Holy Spirit taking up residency in your life? Because if you are truly born again, if you are truly saved, 
If you have truly given your life to Christ and the Holy Spirit has come into your life, there is no way in the world you will look the same. And if you walk into this room and you look like the rest of the world, you talk like the rest of the world, you smell like the rest of the world, and you walked in and you're like, praise God, I'm a Christian, we'd go, but are you? Are you, right? We would have reason to doubt, right? And that's okay. We're going to talk about that in just a second because I know a lot of people are like, you shouldn't judge. But remember a few weeks ago, we turned out that people who call themselves Christians, it's our, it's our job to look at one another and say, hey, you're not doing what God's called you to do. And that's what Paul's doing right here, right? So they're not representing gospel. They're not looking like they have been changed. They're saying they are Christians, but they sure don't look like they are Christians. Some of them, some of them do, some of them do not, right? And I can almost imagine Paul just completely overwhelmed by everything that's going on because he loves people so much and he loves God so much and he wants people to come to know Christ so badly. He's just overwhelmed by what's coming out of the Corinthian church. And so he just looked at them and he said, guys, you've got to stop treating each other like this. And the scripture that we're going to read today piggybacks off of that scripture that we read last week, whenever he said, quit doing this to one another. And then he goes on and he starts talking about this stuff. So let's look in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 uh, through 20 is where we're going to be today. Now look, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to, there's going to be some things mentioned today that are some hot topics in our city. All right. Some hot topics in our world today, okay? But here's the thing. This is, this is, the, this is the commitment I made to the Lord whenever I, whenever I decided and answered the call to pastor this church. God, I will, I will preach the full counsel. God, I will preach everything that you say in this. God, I won't avoid certain things whenever it's time. Lord, but whenever you call us to certain passages, when we get to those passages, we'll do it. Because one way that I feel super convicted about preaching is not necessarily topically, although we will do a topic every now and then. Our Wednesday night Bible study is topic. But one way that I like to go through scripture is exegetically, which is verse by verse as we pick a scripture. Why do I do that? Because I know me. And I know there are certain things that I will avoid preaching about because I want to avoid controversy. But if I will go through the scriptures verse by verse, then I have to preach things that I wouldn't want to preach, all right? But here's, here's, here's where I'm wrong in that. The scriptures are so good, and God's love for us is so great that there is not one scripture that is unloving or should be apologized for because he loves us so much that everything in this scripture is truth and is leading us towards holiness and leading us towards a life of abundance, so why would I ever look at scripture and say, oh, I don't want to preach that? I'll tell you why. Because I don't understand it. Because I don't really understand it. I don't understand it for how God wants me to understand it. So when we read this, there are going to be people who read this and say, oh, that's hatred. But I want us to look at this and make sure that number one, we got to remember as we start this, God is love. He is love and everything about him is love. So everything that he writes down is love. So as we approach these scriptures, let's always remember that God loves us unconditionally with so much. All right. He gave his son for us. So let's always remember that. So let's get into it. First Corinthians chapter six, verses nine. I'm going to read through 11 and we'll stop for a little while. Okay. Here's what it says. Or do you not know 
that the unrighteous, remember they were acting unrighteously right before this, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by, and by the spirit of our God. So Paul is so overwhelmed. He's so heartbroken by their actions and how inconsistent they are with what a Christian should look like. Basically looks at them and says, you know what? Forget about representing the gospel for just a minute. Are you guys, you need to check yourselves. Are you guys even really saved? Are you guys even really, do you really even belong to him? Because remember what we talked about earlier, they're not looking like they are. All the things they're doing, they are not looking like they belong. Now, these scriptures, these specific things that he says right here, that's not an exhaustive list at all about who won't inherit the kingdom of God. That's just a list of things that he knows that they're dealing with right now in their church. And he wants to call them out on those things. And he wants to say, listen, guys, you're living like all of these things right here. You're living these things as a lifestyle. And he's saying, guys, are, do you even belong to the Lord? Like, check yourself for a moment. Check yourself just for a moment, right? He gives them the reminder, the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says, don't be deceived. Now, let's, let's, remember, let's know this. Unrighteous doesn't mean people who never sin, okay? That is not what unrighteous means, all right? The people who are just sinning all the time. Like a righteous person is not someone who doesn't ever sin. That's not what righteousness is, all right? Righteous people... Well, and, and just know that in the Bible, in Romans chapter three, it says that no one is righteous, okay? So we know for a fact that unrighteous people get into heaven, but how, right? So what does he mean here then? And I want to, I put this up on the screen for you guys. Righteousness is this. Righteous is those who are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. That's what a righteous person is. People who are clothed, these, let, let's just do that. Not even those, sinners who are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus, that's what a righteous person is. So when he says the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of, of God, all he's saying is those who are not clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. Now, let me explain this for just a second about what it means to be clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. Because we've talked before about the great exchange that takes place at salvation. Whenever we look at God and we submit our lives to him and we say, oh God, I know that I have lived a life that has been not what you have wanted me to do. God, I know that I'm a sinner and I'm begging you to forgive me of that. I wanna live for you. I trust that Jesus dying on the cross, I trust that him dying on the cross has taken care of my sins and he's paid my penalty. And I wanna to submit to you as the Lord of my life. What happens at that moment is an amazing exchange. And here's what takes place. Here's one of the things that are exchanged. Our unrighteousness is automatically exchanged for Jesus's righteousness, all right? So what does that mean? That means that our righteousness, in that moment that we profess Christ as Lord, our, right, our unrighteousness is placed upon Jesus and he pays the penalty for our sin. And what happens is that righteous life that Jesus lived, no sin at all. He says, I will take your unrighteousness upon myself, which is what you deserved, and I'm gonna give you what I deserve, which is my righteous life. 
And so that whenever we stand before God, he's going to look at us and he's going to not see our unrighteousness. He's going to see us clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. That's what a righteous person is. So that's what he's saying. He's saying, are you clothed in the righteousness of Jesus? He says, remember, all of those who are unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. So don't be deceived. All right. Do not be deceived is what he's telling them. Why? Because there's many people walking around deceived. And guys, there's many, there are many people walking around deceived in our world today. Like, I, I think I've told you guys this before, but you get asked this question all the time. It's like, all right, uh, if you could pick any superpower, like, what would it be, right? People ask that all. That's a great question. And I love to ask that to my kids. I lo- like, it's just a fun, like, icebreaker question. If you could pick any superpower, what would it be? And you get all kinds of answers all the time, right? Um, you get, oh, invisibility. That would be cool. Uh, although in New York, we kind of have that naturally. <laughs> uh, sad. No, I'm kidding. Uh, but, but no, like uh, people are like, no, I would love to fly. Like I could, come on, if you guys could fly, how many of you guys would really love to fly? Right. I mean, I guess maybe not with all the helicopters and stuff around here, but it would still be kind of cool. Like what, but what is it? What would you choose? And, uh, and I promise you, I'm not like being like super spiritual or like any of that stuff, but I, but I came to this conclusion a long, long time ago. And it's mainly because kind of where we moved from, but if I could pick any superpower in my whole entire life, here's what I would pick. And I know you guys are going to look at me and be like, boring. But like, this is what I would choose. I would love to be able to tell straight off whenever I see somebody, if they know Jesus or they don't, like if they are saved or if they are not, how cool would that be? Because then you would automatically know you'd be like, I need to share the gospel with you. Or if they're, if they are saved, you could be like, high five, brother, sister, right? I mean, that's kind of what it would be now. It's, it's more effective. It would be more of a good superpower where we came from. Like we moved here from Louisiana and in Louisiana, the problem there is everybody thinks they're a Christian. Okay. Like everybody down there, if you walk up to them and, and like I said, you walk into Walmart and you say, God is good. Somebody going to yell back all the time. All right. That's just what's going to happen. And again, here, if you yell, God is good. People are going to look at you and go, well, Okay, crazy, right? But the thing is, is like there, it was like, man, I just need to be able to tell because everybody thinks they're a Christian. So I'm like, I just want to be able to tell if you really are or not so that I can actually talk to you about the Lord and maybe you can actually become a Christian. Uh, But here, it would be an awesome superpower because I would love to be walking down the street because you guys know, unfortunately, that like less than 0.03% of New York City claims to be Christian, like born again Christian, right? That's a staggering number, very staggering. So there are not many people. So whenever you're walking down the street here, whenever you're passing people, you can pretty much know they're probably not a Christian. They're probably not a Christian. They're pro- Now, I would love to have that superpower here so that whenever they're walking down the street and they are a Christian, I can run up to them and be like, what's up? You're one of the 0.03. What's up? Right. And, uh, but I would love that, but there are people here and I've sat with people and talked with them. There are still people here who are deceived into thinking they are saved whenever they aren't really saved. And that's so unfortunate. And I hate that, but it's true. And he's telling them, look, you're walking around thinking you belong to God, some of you, and you don't really. And it's evident by how you live your life. Right. But We can't really tell who is saved and who isn't saved for sure. But here's what the scriptures tell us. We can get a pretty good idea based on 
how they live and how they act and how they talk. We can get a, we can get a pretty good idea about it. Now, we cannot definitely say, we can never walk up to somebody and say, you definitely are not a Christian, all right? Unless they tell you they aren't. But like, if they think they are, we can't. But we can. I want you guys to see this in Matthew chapter 7. All right. Jesus warns of those who say they're part of the family of God and the body of Christ, but they really aren't. All right. And he tells them the best way to know is by looking at the fruit of their life. All right. So what is being produced by your life right there in Matthew chapter seven, it says a healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit. This is what Jesus says, nor can a deceased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. So you should be able to tell whether or not someone is a Christian or not by the fruits that they bear, whether or not you are a Christian or not by the fruits that you bear. He goes on to say uh, in the rest of this scripture, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. On that day, many are going to say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. All right. Now he's not talking about atheists. He's not talking about pagan people here. He's specifically people. He's specifically talking to those who claim to be Christians. They say, Lord, Lord. They're saying, God, we, Lord, like we believe in you, Jesus. We we're calling you Lord, but he's going to say, depart from me for I never knew you. And he says, why? Because all you do is practice lawlessness. That means that all you do is walk in a way like you do not belong to me. There's a, there's a term in a book that I read one time called the Christian atheist. That's a person who says they believe in God, but they act like he doesn't exist. All right. And that's who he's calling out right here. He's saying, guys, you, those of you that are in Corinth, he's saying, you say, Lord, Lord, you're saying that he is your Lord, but look at you. Your fruits do not bear, they do not bear likeness of Jesus at all. And the things that you do are in exact opposition to what God has called you to do. And so that's what he's telling them through this scripture. He's saying, guys, you don't look like it. Listen, Christians should look different on the outside because they have been transformed on the inside. All right? Christians should look different on the outside because they have been transformed on the inside. Look, we, know we aren't Christians because one day we woke up and we were like, you know what? I think I want to be a Christian, right? No, we, we don't choose to do the things of God because we're like, you know what? I want to do the things of God. The reason that we choose obedience and the reason that we choose the things of God is because he's changed us on the inside. I want to read uh, some scriptures and I hope you can, I hope this describes your life. But in Ezekiel eleven nineteen, it says this, and I will give them one heart, a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. Just by, just by uh, maybe an amen. How many of you guys have, have, have a new heart that you have that you didn't once have? Yeah. Yeah. Man, we understand that. We look at that and we go, I know what he's talking about. But who he's talking to is the person who looks at that and goes, I don't understand what that means. I don't understand a new heart. Second Corinthians chapter five, uh, verse 17 says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? New creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Guys, how many of you are so thankful that you are a new creation? Man, come on. 
I am so glad that I'm not who I once was. I am so glad that I don't struggle with the things that I used to struggle with and that I don't have the hopelessness that I used to have, that I don't have the, the, the pointless life that I used to have, but now I have purpose and now I have meaning and now I have joy and now I have hope and I have all of these things. I'm a brand new creation and I'm so grateful for that. In Romans chapter 12 too, he says, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Praise God, I've, given, I've been given a renewed mind. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. This is Paul. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. I'm so grateful that I don't live my life. Although sometimes I want to jump back in the driver's seat, right? But for the most part, it's not me. It's Christ that lives through me. And I'm so incredibly grateful for that. You see, there are people who understand that and they, like, they, and they say, amen. They say, I get that. I know the old me. I know the new me. I know the change that has come. And I'm so glad that I've been saved. And I'm so glad that, that Jesus loves me, right? I'm so, I'm so glad that I'm changed. But there are people who will read those scriptures and they will look at it and go, I don't get it. I don't understand it. And th those are the people those are the people that, that are bearing the fruit that is opposite of Jesus. Those are the lawless people that he was talking about. That when it, they'll say, Lord, Lord, and they're going to stand before God and he's going to say, depart from me for I never knew you. Are the people that don't, that don't understand it. And that's Paul's trying to jar them awake. He's trying to say, guys, listen to me. Because number one, yeah, I want you to represent the gospel well. But number one, I want you to make sure that you're saved. I want you to be sure of that. And guys, everyone sitting in this room right now, like we can come to church and we can say amens and we can sing the songs and we can say, Lord, Lord. But the thing that I would, you know, put in front of all of us today is the same thing he's putting in front of them. Let's make sure that we truly know Jesus. Let's make sure that we truly do. And so I just want to pose that question just in case today. I have to because I care about your salvation more uh, than um, I do about how well you're representing the gospel. So, um, now, I do want to keep this in mind, okay? Christians aren't perfect. I know you guys are like, amen? <laughs> We're not. We're not perfect. And that's just the truth, right? And just because you see someone doing something that isn't in line with how God has called us to live, it doesn't mean they're automatically not saved, okay? So we can't be that person either, who whenever somebody's doing something and we're like, hey, like we're called to go and restore that brother or sister. We're not called to walk up to that person and just go, I don't even think you're a Christian, right? Because of what they're doing. I can't even believe it. I don't even think you're a Christian, right? That's not what we're called to do. But listen to what it says. Because we as Christians, we, we do struggle. We do fall back in. We, we talk about it all the time, but that fight in Galatians 5 that is the flesh versus the spirit. Praise God we got the spirit. But we do have that, we do have that, kind of fight in us between the flesh and the spirit. And part of us is like, oh, I want to go over here and I want to do this. And the spirit's like, no, 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 no. You got to come over here and you got to do this. And then we're like, but I really want to do this right now. And the spirit's like, no, 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 no. You need to do this right here. And then sometimes we fall over here. We end up doing this and we find ourselves just miserable in that moment. Those things do happen to believers. But in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, I, I want you to see the difference, though, in a not saved person versus a person who just is, is struggling in the moment, all right? It says this, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. 
If we say we have fellowship with him, if we say that we're saved while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. What I want us to understand is that word walk right there. So what that means is if we claim that we are saved, if we claim to be a Christian, but our life is defined by and our life is lived in opposition, like in the darkness, then we're lying to ourselves and we're not truly saved. But he's saying walk as in a lifestyle. Okay, like that means that there is cherished, unconfessed sin in your life that you are not going to get rid of. And you're like, God, there's no way I'm going to do that. So that means that he is not your Lord, because something that was very, very sobering to me was the phrase, you cannot say no Lord and mean both things. Does that make sense? You can't say no Lord, because if you say no, he's not your what? And if he's your Lord, you say yes, right? That's what, that, that's what it means to be a believer. But, the, but there is an occasion whenever we fall away. But, if, but if, we're not, if we're not walking in darkness, if it's not a lifestyle, then we can be sure that we're saved. But if our life is defined by walking in darkness, then allow that to wake you up a little bit. We've got to allow that to wake us up and, and question whether or not we, we are saved. And if you are questioning if you're saved, somebody told me one time, the devil will never make you question if you're saved because he just wants you to never, if you're not, he doesn't want you to think about it, all right? So that's something that we should always keep in mind, all right? Um, so, so it's walking in. So how do you know if, if someone, or better, or better yet, how do you know if you are truly saved? Well, the big question that we can ask then is that the walk question, but what direction does your life flow? All right, as a whole, I want to use this as an example. What direction does your life flow? Go to the next slide real quick. I'm going to use the Nile River uh, kind of as a, uh, an example here. You guys, this is, this is Africa. I, was, I took geometry in school. <laughs> okay, you guys got that? All right, cool. Uh, all right, so... Um, Hopefully Eli did, right? You did, right? Okay, good. All right. He's homeschooled. You got you to gotta wonder. Um, that's my kid, by the way. I can talk to him like that. Um, but here's the Nile River, okay? Now, does anybody know just off the top of your head which direction the Nile River flows? It does. It flows north, all right? Wow, you guys are really good. I didn't know that until I was studying for this sermon, so good job, guys. Uh, but um, yeah, so the Nile, the Nile River flows north. Now, if you are, let's say if I can do this, all right? If you live right here, what direction do you think the Nile River flows? According to your perspective, what direction does the Nile flow? East. Yeah, east, exactly. Yeah, because if it's flowing up, then it's gonna go this way, and then it's gonna go up, right? So what about if you live um, right here? What direction do you think the Nile flows? Kind of like a, yeah, kind of like a Southwest, right? So it all depends on, it all kind of depends on where you are in that. But here's the thing. Some people are going to say, no, I think it kind of flows east where we live. Well, it kind of flows south where we live. Look, that, that right there is a perfect description of the Christian life. All right. Now the Christian life, let's say that north, our, our Christian life should flow towards holiness. That's going to be our north. 
All right. So as a whole, our Christian lives should always flow north. So even though it takes some turns and goes a different way, the general direction as a whole is that our life should flow north. Now, what's awesome about God is that he takes some of those things, right? Now, this is, by the way, this is what I mean by, by not walking in sin, but having an occasional fall. All right. Having an occasional mess up is, is we're flowing north. We're doing good. And then we kind of start flowing east a little bit. We're flowing north. We're doing good. And then we kind of go a little southwest. But the whole time, where are we being pushed? We're being pushed up, right? We're being pushed north. And that's why I love this as an example, because it's perfect for what the Christian life is and what God does for us. Now, if your life just flows south the whole time, well, then that means you're walking in darkness. But if your life, no matter which may take a turn here or there, but if it's flowing north as a whole, then you can, that's what he's talking about. You can be sure that you are saved. That's what a Christian life should look. So it's not that we don't mess up. It's that our lives, even though we mess up, are still flowing towards holiness, all right? And God is amazing because he takes those things and he turns them for his good, right? But if you think about people in the Bible like David, right? That dude was flowing north. It was going good, right? And then he saw somebody taking a bath and he went south, right? But then where did he end up? Back north again, right? What about, what about Jonah, a man that was, that was chasing after the Lord, and then all of a sudden God tells him to do something, and he just takes a detour for a little bit. But, but he ends up where? Flowing north again, right? Same thing with um, Peter, right? Denied Jesus three times. The guy is living for the Lord. He takes a detour. He denies Jesus. But then where does he end up? He, his flow ends up going back north again. Guys, that, that is our life. That is who we are, and that should be what defines. Now, the goal of our life is to straighten it out more and more, right? Straighten it out a lot more. That's our goal. We never want to take a turn. We never want to take grace for granted and just say, oh, God's going to forgive me of that, right? No, we should, we should be striving to make sure that we keep that thing straight. But whenever we don't, aren't we grateful for grace? Aren't we grateful for mercy? Yeah, we absolutely are. But that what's beautiful about being a child of God is even though we mess up, he uses it to grow us towards him and towards holiness. He takes our moments where our life flow was going in the opposite direction and he uses it as momentum for the future. Praise God for that because I've got some mess ups in my life, but I wouldn't be the man of God I am today had he not used those mess ups in my life, right? So I'm thankful that he does that and I'm thankful for his grace. Um, so some people truly saved, they're just in need of an adjustment, uh, but some need to come to the realization that they aren't and they were never ever truly saved to begin with, right? So that statement right there sums up why Paul is saying what he is saying to this church in Corinth in those scriptures, right? Uh, so the question we have to ask ourselves is are we off course or is our life defined by the list of things that he mentioned, right? Which, by the way, we said isn't an exhaustive list. It's just a list he knew they were struggling with in church. Now, here, let me just say something about this. Because we read that list, right? We, we know what's in that list that he just said, the things that he mentioned. The things that he mentioned were not of God, all right? And here's the thing that I want us to understand as a church, okay? That list in the church 
has, has been used in a very abusive way towards people that are not of the church. Okay. Uh, what do I mean by that? First of all, I want us to understand this, that list that he gave right there, that is not a list of unforgivable sins. That is not a list of unforgivable. It's not a list of those who aren't welcome at church. You guys hear that? You want to know what that list is? It's redeemable. That list is redeemable. And we all fall in that list. We all fell in that list, right? And the church has used that list to make people feel unwelcome. It's, it's used that list to make people feel less than or worse than others or outcasts or unworthy of God's grace. That is not truth. That is not the heart of Jesus at all. It's not a scripture that's giving us a list of lepers. He's not giving anyone fuel to hate someone or to look down upon another person. There is no sin too great that is outside the power of the work of Christ on the cross. No sin too great. All right. So may we never use this list to hate anyone. But may we use this list to chase after people in love. That's what we're called to do, all right? And Because look what he says here, the next thing in verse 11. He says, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. But, and such were some of you. So he's looking at that Corinthian church and he's using that past tense word, were, right? And he's looking at them and he's got this whole list of things going on. He's saying, you were sexually immoral. You were idolaters. You were adulterers. Some of you were homosexuals. Some of you were thieves. Some of you were greedy. Some of you were drunkards, revilers. Some of you were swindlers, right? But he says, but now... You've been justified. You've been sanctified. You've been washed. He uses that past, that past tense word, were, right? So being forgiven and washed. And we can sit here and we can go, praise God, that, that there are a lot of things that were in that list that I were, right? That I was that. But there are a lot more things I could make in that list that I was. All right, not just these things. There are some things that I could add to that list that I was, but praise God that I've been washed. Praise God that I've been justified. Praise God that I've been, and being sanctified, right? Thank God that he does those things, but being forgiven and washed shouldn't elevate us in our mind. It shouldn't elevate us in our mind. It should elevate what? Grace. That's what should be elevated. Not us, grace. It should elevate the goodness of God. So for the churchy person, all right? This shouldn't make you feel above anyone who has yet to experience the forgiveness of God. If anything, it makes you a priority for them in love. All right? Doesn't make you above anybody. And that's what I hate about churches. You walk into some churches and they act like there's so much, like, like you walk in and, if, and you have to be fake because if they find out that you're real, they don't want to talk to you because, well, I don't want to associate with that person, right? That's a reason that there are a lot of people who fall under this list and they don't want to walk into a church because whenever they walk in, they're going to feel like they're judged. They're going to feel like they're hated. They've got a wrong idea of what it means to be a Christian. Why? Because there are so many Christians, Christians giving them the wrong idea of what it means to be one. 
But guys, we, I don't care what every other church, I do care what they do, but I'm not responsible for them. But God has trusted me as the under shepherd of this church. And let me tell you right now, we're going to welcome every single person into this church. And we're not only going to welcome them in, you're going to not make it awkward. You got it? If somebody walks in this room and they don't look like you, they don't act like you, they don't, and they look like they need Jesus, that's the first person you need to walk to and you need to make sure that they feel loved. That's what we need to be as a church. So Hope Community, if you're not doing that, I will call you flat out on it, all right? If I see you avoiding anybody, that's, that's, I will call you out on that, all right? Because we're not going to be that. We are absolutely not going to be that. Um, here's, what, here's what this scripture should remind us all of, is that we've been forgiven. And we now, we now should have a burden in our heart for those that have yet to experience that forgiveness. He says three words, justified, washed, sanctified. My favorite de- definition of justified is pictured as justified, never sinned, right? Justified, never sinned. That's what it means to be justified. We're, we're cleansed. Christ has, Christ has taken care of that, and that exchange has taken place. Washed, our record is clear. We have no guilt of sin whatsoever. How, how freeing is that to live in that? That is so freeing that no matter what we have done, once we have been justified, we are completely washed clean. And that's just an, a, a really great place to live. And he says, sanctified. We are being led. That is an ongoing process this side of heaven. We are being led by the spirit towards holiness, which by the way, also leads to happiness and leads to joy. All right. Let, let me just make sure we understand that. Holiness leads to happiness and joy. All right. Don't be afraid of it. God's not a killjoy. He's not being like, be holy because I want you to be miserable. Right. That's not what God says. God is a God of love. He wants us to experience an abundant life. So he says, chase holiness because in holiness is where joy is. It's where happiness is. So that's why we seek after those things. He's incredible. He's incredible. Now, even after hearing Paul's incredible reminder here, and we're going to close with this, but uh, with the rest of this scripture here, um, he, he gives them an incredible reminder of all they've been forgiven for, forgiven of and freed from. And he knows that he knows that they're going to try to defend the sin that they love. All right. He knows that. And I know that about myself. Whenever I'm in the middle of something and somebody wants to call me out on it, what's my gut instinct? My gut instinct is not to go, you're right. I repent. My gut instinct is to defend myself, right? So that I can kind of continue with that. And he knows that that's what they're going to do, right? They want to still feel, they want to be able to continue in their sin and feel spiritually good about it. Okay. We would all love to do that. Let's just be honest for a moment, right? I was talking to, um, a chapel uh, a, a week ago and uh, at one of the schools. And, uh, and I looked at all of them and they were middle school and high schoolers. And I was like, guys, let me ask you a question. Is sin fun? And they were like, uh, I don't know how to answer this. I don't, because inside their mind, they're going, yes, but I can't say that. And I answered it for them. I was like, yes, yes, it is. Why? Because if sin wasn't fun, nobody would do it, right? If sin wasn't fun, nobody would do it. And so if I know my flesh, if I can convince myself that a certain sin is not really sin, I'll do it. I'll do it. But that's not submitting to the word of God, right? That's submitting to what I want. So he knows that. He knows that because Paul knows himself. He knows that he would struggle with that too, right? So he's saying, look, I know what you guys are going to say. He like preemptive strikes on this right here, right? If this was a rap battle, he would rap everything that they would say and they would not be able to say a thing. All right. 
I won't mention the movie that that reminds me of. All right. So verse 12, it says this, all things are lawful for me. That's, that's, a, that's in quotes, okay? He's like, I know what you're going to say. All things are lawful for me. But listen to what he says, but all things are not helpful. And he says, all things are lawful for me. I know you're going to say that, but I will not be dominated by anything. And then he knows what they're going to say. Well, food is meant for the stomach and stomach for the food. And he says this, and God's going to destroy both one and the other. And the body, and then he says this, the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. So there are two popular arguments that he's going to preemptive strike right here to defend. They are trying to defend living in sin. All right. So number one, he says, we are not under, we aren't under the law anymore. Therefore, all things are lawful. That's what they think. Like, hey, Paul, chill out, bro. Like, we're not under the law anymore. So we don't have to follow all these rules that we used to follow, right? We're not under the law anymore. So every, everything is lawful. That means we can do anything we want because we're saved by grace, right? So I can live however I want to live. And he's like, no, absolutely, you cannot do that, right? He says, not all things are helpful. And if you're not careful, you will no longer be dominated by the Holy Spirit. But listen to this, you'll be back in slavery to sin. And that's where they've placed themselves. They've placed themselves back in slavery to sin. Guys, Jesus didn't free us so that we would go back to it, all right? He freed us to get us out of it because we know the, miserable, we know the misery that it brings to our lives. And then their second argument is crazy. He's like, food is meant for the stomach and stomach for the food. Now, listen, this was an idiom that basically means like if the body craves it, then it should get it, all right? If the body craves it, then the body should get it. So, so basically it's like, you know, what's wrong with gluttony? Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach is for food. So there really is no glutton because it's my, what my body wants. God created me to want that. And so therefore I, I should be able to have that, right? But then it took on a whole new meaning. It became an idiom. So whenever people were, it actually, the actual phrase was meats for the belly and belly for the meats. That's the actual translation of it, right? And what that became, what that came to be known as is if my body craves it, then that's what my body should get because that's how my body was made, right? And so it became an idiom to justify every natural craving that the body had, but mostly it became the main way to defend sexual immorality, right? Sexual immorality just means using sex in a way that is outside of the way God designed it for, to be, all right? Now, so they're saying, hey, the body was meant for sex and sex for the body, right? So, but I, I read this in a commentary and I love um, what, how this puts it. And it's, it's just, so, it's so good. It's loving, it's caring, it's very, very good. Here's what he says. Sex is not an appetite to be satisfied, but a gift to be cherished. I love that. Just because we have certain desires given by God at creation does not mean that we must give in to them and always satisfy them. Sex outside of marriage is destructive. While sex in marriage can be creative and beautiful, there may be excitement and enjoyment in sexual uh, experience outside of marriage, but there is not enrichment. Sex outside of marriage is like a man robbing a bank. He gets something, but it is not his, and he will one day pay for it. Sex within marriage can be like a person depositing money into a bank. There is safety, there's security, and he will collect dividends. We won't go into that. Sex within marriage can build a relationship that brings joys in the future, but sex apart from marriage has a way of weakening future relationships. It is good. I, whenever I read that, I was like, man, I love the way that he put that. It's so, so well done, so well thought of, and I love, because guys, 
one thing that our world loves to do is take something that's beautiful that the Lord has given us and pervert it. And that's what's happened in our world. That's what's happening in front of our eyes. But the thing is, and what's happening in the Corinth, the Corinthian church, and we need to make sure it doesn't happen today in our own church, is that it doesn't, it becomes normalized outside. And so it becomes normalized inside of the church. We need to make sure that we stick with, with God's word because he loves us, because he cares for us and he wants that abundant life for us. And when we take what he's given us and we misuse it, and then all of a sudden we're experiencing pain and difficulties, it's not God's fault because he, the, the creator of it, told us how to use it. And so we would do very well just to obey the master in who, who created us and what he's created us for and what he's created us to do, all right? Um, so let's trust him and how it's to be used, all right? Um, and, and then finally his reminder in verse 14, he says, and God raised the Lord, and I love this because this is just so beautiful. He's reminding them, hey, don't, don't, don't give in to sexual immorality. Why? Because God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he, he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexual, sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own for you were bought with the price. So glorify God in your body. Here's what this reminds me of, okay? Christ left this earth, right? But is Christ finished working on this earth? No, he's not finished working on this earth. Instead of using his physical body to accomplish things, do you know how he works now? Through the church body. He works through the church body who is in direct, who is in direct submission to the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus used now, the church body. He doesn't use his own body. So that means our hands are his hands. That means our feet are his feet. And that means that our tongue is his tongue. The things we say are to represent him, right? And God has entrusted us with the gospel and as representatives of him to this world by where we go, what we do, and what we say. So there is no better reason to keep our bodies pure because we understand that we are the hands and feet of Jesus. We represent him. And so whenever we pray, God, give us clean hands. Why? Because we want you to work through clean hands. We want you to work through a pure heart because we represent Jesus to this world. And the only way we can truly represent Jesus to this world is if we have the mind of Christ and the heart of Christ. So that's why we seek holiness. We want to be representatives, all right? So the thing I'll leave you with is this statement. May the transformation that has taken place on the inside beam with holiness on the outside for his glory, for our good, and for the hope of all those who are searching. Thank you for listening. For more information about our church, please visit our website at hopecommunitynyc.com.